Good morning and welcome to the Dance to Learn podcast, where I help dance teachers and studio owners dance, learn, and grow right along with your students. I'm your host, Jessica Strong, and I'm the creative director and owner here at Dance to Learn, and I am so excited for today's episode. Today is part two of a two-part series that I'm calling, Why Are My Students Behaving This Way? I'm excited for this mini-series on the podcast, and I hope you are too. Let's get learning. Good morning, everyone. Happy Wednesday. I hope you are all having a wonderful week, and I am so excited to be back with another episode of the Dance to Learn podcast. Today's topic is part two of a two-part mini-series that I'm calling, Why Are My Students Behaving This Way? If you missed part one, I would suggest stopping right now, heading over to the podcast description and clicking the link to listen to part one first. In part one, I discuss the basic needs of our students and how we can ensure that the basic needs of our students are being met. That is really important. So today, I am talking about what we can do as dance teachers if our students are still exhibiting problematic behaviors even after we determine that their basic needs are being met. And I will be discussing the five R's of behavior investigation. So now before I get too far in today's episode, I want to welcome you here if you are new or welcome back if you have been here before. Hi again. I invite you to download today's episode and subscribe for future episode notifications. If you're loving this podcast, let me know by leaving a five-star review. I love to read listener reviews, and if your review is read on air, I send your studio an Amazon gift card, and I do this as a way to say thank you for being here and thank you for your support. Okay, so part two of the Why Are My Students Behaving This Way mini-series. I'm so excited for today. So Before I begin on today's topic, let's quickly recap last week. So we discussed the three basic survival needs of our students. Ensuring that they are getting enough water, food, and sleep is really important for their overall well-being and it does affect their behavior. And really important, I also shared some of the signs that you might see if your students may be lacking some of these life essentials, if they're dehydrated, if they're sleepy, or even if they're hungry. Um, I also discussed creating a safe dancing environment for your students, making sure you have a clean dance room that allows for safe movement and exploration. And we discussed the importance of rules and routines. I also discussed our four learning types in the VARC model and why we need to ensure that we are meeting the needs of all four of those learning types in every single class. Now let's do a little real talk again for a second. So even after ensuring that those basic needs are being met, our students might still exhibit some unsatisfactory behaviors. So what is what is that about, right? Shouldn't that be enough to solve all the behavior problems and nip them in the bud? No, my friends, there are still other factors to consider and we may have to do a little bit more investigating to determine the root of the behavior problems. We can do a little bit more investigating by following the five 
R's approach, which I'm going to share with you today. Now, before I get into that, I want to remind you that problematic behaviors are most likely rooted in stress or anxiety. Your student is feeling stress or anxiety about a situation, which is then in turn resulting in this negative behavior. So once we figure out what the stressor is, we can help our students by relieving that stress and in turn fixing the behaviors we are witnessing. Sometimes that stressor is blatantly obvious, while other times it may be something harder to pinpoint what the root cause of the problem is. And that's where the five R's come in. Now let's let's do a quick scenario. So let's say, and I'll refer back to this scenario a couple times on today's episode, but let's say that we have a little dancer named Julia and Julia is hanging on the bar. And as a dance teacher, your first response may be to react to this, right? So I can tell you this, react is not one of the five R's. Although, and I have definitely been guilty of this myself, usually my first response is to react. It's normal. So we want to sort of rethink and retrain how we respond in these situations. Now, however, that isn't always the best approach to this because our when we react, sometimes our initial reaction, we haven't fully given ourselves time to process the scenario. So our our initial reaction may come out maybe as angry or it might be a surprise to the student, which in turn could cause an additional negative reaction from Julia. Because remember this, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if you see Julia hanging on a bar, don't react and say, Julia, stop hanging on the bar right? Because what's that going to do? You might startle her. You might scare her. She may not even know what she is doing isn't appropriate, right? And even if you say it nicely, it may still create a negative reaction and cause further delays in resolving the problem or cause a response that now you have to resolve. Maybe she starts crying because she's embarrassed or maybe she throws a temper tantrum and we don't want any of those things to happen. This sort of reminds me of that advice that we always receive, right? When we get a nasty email from someone or a bad review, and upon reading, you know, these mean emails, your initial response is to always react, right? And if you react and you send a message back right away, you're feeding off of your emotions. So you might send something or say something that you regret. So I've learned over the years that it's best to sleep on it and give it a day day or two before responding because when we react to something, it's more likely than not our initial feelings coming out and we haven't allowed ourselves time to fully process the situation. So we definitely need to approach these behavioral scenarios In that same way, if possible, we have to respond fairly quickly, though. We can't sleep on it for a day and then address it. We do have to redress it timely. But this is where the five R's come in. So let me go over the five R's and what this will look like uh, for for your classes. So the first step in the five R's is to reframe. And this means as an instructor, rather than reacting immediately, we should take a minute to watch the behavior happening. Then we wait to respond so we can sort of wonder and investigate and figure out what is causing the behavior. 
right? Now, sometimes in situations where a child is in danger, maybe they're about to hurt themselves or about to hurt someone else, we can't always wait and watch and see what's going to happen here, right? And in those scenarios, we do need to react and respond immediately to prevent a child from hurting themselves or someone else. And I do have a solution later on in this podcast to handle those sort of scenarios. And in the above scenario, though, let's talk about this scenario with with little Julia, who's treating the bar as a jungle gym. So we wait to see, you know, if she continues to hang on the bar. Then we watch the behavior to see if there is a reason why is she doing this, right? And then we wonder what the solution might be, or at least the cause of the behavior. What is that stressor. And this will allow your own stressors as an instructor to sort of calm down as well, sort of like sleeping on it before responding to that angry parent's email. We don't want to overreact and cause more harm to a scenario. So next, after waiting, watching, and wondering, this gives us time to process. And this is when we may recognize, that's our next R, what the stressor is. So with Julia, the clear stressor is the bar itself. It's it's obviously a distraction. Um, So now that we can recognize the bar is the stressor, we need to reduce the stressing situation. So the easiest solution in this example with Julia is to remove the bar from the scenario. So let's have everyone move to the other side of the room where the bar is no longer there. Or maybe we do all of our standing warm-ups without a bar. So fun fact, in case you don't know, I don't introduce a bar to my dancers until they're about seven or eight years old and entering beginning ballet. I teach them everything up until that point on their own two feet first, and then I introduce the bar when they are older and have a better understanding of the tools of ballet. So just something to consider if this is a frequent stressor in your classes. All right, so now that the bar has been removed, now we reflect on the scenario. So that's our next R. Did that fix the problem? How do you feel now that the stressor has been removed? Does the classroom feel calm again? Does it feel fluid again? Is everyone focused on you again? So that's your time to reflect and determine, did that fix the problem? Then the last step is to respond to the new scenario. So respond to your own feelings as an instructor, as well as the class as a whole. And if the scenario still doesn't feel calm and focused, then you go back and you repeat those first four steps until you can respond again. So something where the stressor, I I feel like in that scenario, the stressor was pretty obvious, right? It was the ballet bar. So it's easy in those scenarios to reframe, recognize, reduce, reflect, and respond. But what happens if you notice that Julia is hanging on the bar and you recognize the best scenario is to reduce access to the bar And so you move everybody into the center, but upon reflection and responding, you notice that Julia is still exhibiting some questionable behaviors. Okay, so let's say, let's say you've moved the class from working at the bar to performing their movements in the center, but Julia isn't focused on you. Instead, she's in the corner twirling uncontrollably, and this is causing a 
monkey see, monkey do reaction. And now two other students who are also watching Julia twirling around, they think that looks like so much fun. So now they're twirling around too. So now as a teacher, right, this can be a little frustrating because now you're having to try to get their attention and you might be wondering, why are my students behaving this way? Am I right? So together, let's go ahead and reframe. So the first step in reframing is we watch Julia spinning. And this is where as a teacher, we sort of have to determine, is she in danger? Is she putting anyone else in danger? Most likely not. I mean, the worst thing that might happen is she'll get dizzy and she'll fall down. And worse than that, if she's really close to somebody else, maybe she'll fall down and knock somebody else over. I would intervene immediately in that scenario. Um, but if the worst case is that she gets dizzy and she falls down, watch for a little bit, right? Then we wait. So as you watch and wait and you determine that she's not in danger, just go ahead and wait and see maybe that behavior will stop or maybe she will fall down and she'll realize what happens when she twirls around for five minutes. And maybe after she falls down, she'll stop twirling, right? That would be, you know, then maybe she'll realize, oh, I need to pay attention to my teacher. So the last step in this is to wonder, why why are you spinning right now? Um, you know, and so as a teacher, knowing what I know about twirling, right? We know that when kids twirl around, they're actually learning about their own body and this is actually a really good training for their vestibular sense right so this is actually pretty normal for kids which is why we see it happening so much in dance classes so as a dance teacher as i'm watching this i'm gonna wonder what am i doing right now as a dance teacher what activities are we doing am i providing enough kinesthetic stimulation for julia am i providing too much stimulation maybe i'm overstimulating. Do I know what kind of learner Julia is in that VARC system? Should I maybe give her a prop? Is the music too loud or too soft? Am I even playing music? Is she a visual learner? Can she see me? Can she hear me? So all of these things you sort of want to consider as you're reframing and sort of watching and waiting to see what happens in this scenario. So let's say in this scenario, you recognize, because you know Julia, so you recognize that you are demonstrating whatever this, maybe it's plies in the center, but you're demonstrating right now without music. So you decide, okay, you know what? Let's all stop. Maybe you clap and get everybody's attention and you say, we're gonna play a game of copycat. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna play a game of copy Miss Jessica, right? And so I'm gonna, see okay maybe i just need to play some music and redirect a little bit here so next i am going to reduce so i'm gonna hopefully this copycat game is going to reduce julia's opportunity to continue twirling through redirection so gather her attention maybe we'll do some silly movements and maybe those silly movements include twirling so that she can get her twirls out of her system then you play the music and say okay friends Let's copy Miss Jessica. This is a really fun song, right? And then reflect. So as you're playing the game of copycat, you're reflecting on, you know, can you determine what led Julia to start lose focus and start twirling like this? Because you want to prevent this from happening again in the future with other kids. How? And generally, it is something that you have to change as a teacher. It's not just the child. It's usually redirecting, 
regrouping, you know, what you're doing and just switching it up a little bit. Sometimes it's just a, a little change in how you're playing the game or how you're teaching an activity or a movement or whatever, whatever's going on in your class. So next you respond, right? So after the game of copycat, you determine that that, that was it. That's all Julia needed. She just sort of needed to be redirected and refocused. She needed to hear some music and that gave her a little extra energy and she had really fun playing a silly game of copycat. So maybe you determined she was just bored and twirling seemed more exciting for her at that time than <laughs> listening to the teacher. Hey, it happens sometimes, right? So now we've gone through a couple different scenarios following the five R's of sort of this behavior investigation. So how can we as teachers use this process to face behavior challenges up front in our classroom? So what do we do for those scenarios where we do have to react immediately for a child's safety rather than allowing that time to sort of reframe the situation? What if we never got to the bottom of it and the negative behaviors continued throughout an entire class. We could never figure out or get Julia refocused again. So one thing that I have personally started a couple years ago was a behavior journal. And like any other journal, my behavior journal allows me to write out this five-step process for different scenarios that may have happened in a class. Maybe I reacted to a situation instead of following that five-hour process. And I made a seemingly harmless situation worse than it was. Or maybe I ended class and still had no idea why the class never returned to its calm and focused state. And so I sort of want to reflect on that and write that down. And so I can sort of figure out what I missed. And sometimes I really need more time to reframe and recognize the cause of the problem or situation so I can reduce or limit the chance of that happening again in the future. So I want to write those situations down and I want to save it so I have it handy should a similar situation ever come up again. So the great thing about having a behavior journal is now I know I've experienced a scenario and I can go to my journal to see what steps I took in the past to resolve that behavior. And another great reason to keep a behavior journal is that it allows me an opportunity to research certain behaviors outside of class. So for example, maybe a behavior is stemming from a child that has a learning disability and I want to research to see if there are articles on that behavior that will allow me to maybe educate myself on different solutions and ways to handle those situations in the future. So if you happen to be struggling with continued problematic behavior, I would definitely suggest just investing in a little journal that you can have at every class. And one thing that I've done for you guys today is I've actually created a little worksheet that you can print out and maybe print out a couple copies, punch some holes in it, put it in a binder and just have it in your studio. And it has the five R's and you you can write the dancer's name, sort of recap the scenario, and get then go through those five R's. And then you can have your own little behavior binder, and maybe you can put it in every studio for your dance teachers. And I put that in today's podcast description as a free download for you guys. So if you don't want to have, you know, a journal that you have to go out and buy, just print out a couple copies of these, put them in binders, and then your teachers can sort of have almost like a behavior Bible that they can go through. Not that every scenario is going to be fixed the same way 
but then you guys can sort of help each other with behaviors and see what other teachers have done and share it with each other and make it a studio learning experience because this is the hard stuff. This is the hard stuff to sort of figure out as dance teachers. So, but go head on over to the podcast description today so that you can get that free download um, from our from our website. So, what do you think? That That is what I have for you guys today. I hope that that was helpful and I'd love to hear from you guys. You can tell me your thoughts. The best way to tell me your thoughts is by leaving me a podcast review so you can leave me a review on the podcast. I always read the reviews. Also, I like to continue these conversations over in our Facebook group. So we have a Facebook group. It's called the Preschool Dance Teachers Forum. We are currently at about 1,700 members, I think. So it's a strong group of passionate preschool dance teachers, and they're sharing their thoughts and tips and tricks on these topics as well. So you're more than welcome to join the discussion there. And I've linked the group in today's podcast description. So if you aren't a member yet, please go join the group and hang out with us and hang out with me and see the fun things that we post, even if you don't want to talk about the podcast. No pressure. So thank you again for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you all next time on the Dance to Learn podcast. And I hope that you continue to dance, learn, and grow. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Dance to Learn podcast. If you are loving the podcast, please be sure to subscribe. Also, be sure to leave me a five-star review, and I may feature your review in an upcoming episode. Any review I do feature will receive a $10 Amazon gift card. Have a wonderful week, and I hope you continue to dance, learn, and grow. Bye!